Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that chemicals in biodegradable food containers can actually get into your compost. So you might have good intentions. You say, I'm going to compost these biodegradable food containers so it doesn't end up in a landfill, but we might be doing some bad things to our health with that stuff. Those food containers have a substance called perfluoroalkyl in them and another one called PFAS that repel water and oil. Problem is that those persistent chemicals can come out of the packaging and end up in compost. And when the compost is used, plants can take the stuff up and then you get it. So studies have linked it to things like lowered fertility and birth weight and maybe even some kinds of cancers. And they found these, uh, I should say, and researchers found these things called PFAAs in compost from 10 commercial facilities. And when food containers were composted, they had concentrations of 29 to 76 micrograms per kilo. And when the facilities didn't accept these biodegradable containers, the soil had less than eight micrograms. So that's almost 10 times less of a toxic chemical. And researchers analyzed the compost because Washington State was concerned it might have been a mistake to allow composting of food containers. So why is this relevant for you? Here's the deal. It's possible to make soil, soil that you don't want to use. And you could say, look, I'm doing a good thing. I'm using this uh, compost. The compost in your compost pile, if you still keep one, uh, living on a farm, I have a very large one. But it's the same as what's in your gut. So you can have a gut that sort of runs, and it's about what you put in it. So just because something can biodegrade doesn't mean you want it to biodegrade. Maybe we'd be better off just burning all that plastic and even synthetic plastic, capturing the carbon, capturing the toxins, and doing something constructive with that instead of spreading it into our soil and putting it back into our guts. We're going to have to do something about all that stuff, and I'm thinking about it a lot, uh, working on it. And uh, I think the industry at large is working on it. I would uh, uh, I would say the solution isn't out there yet, but there are enough smart people on it that I feel good about it. In the meantime, healthy soil and healthy microbiome, same basic thing. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. 
The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest has nothing to do with compost, nothing to do with a healthy microbiome, and everything to do with solving the world's biggest challenges. I might argue that healthy soil is among the world's greatest challenges, however. He's the founder and CEO of Kairos, a venture fund that funds companies that actually are gonna make a difference and probably make a profit. Since Kairos was started in 2012, it's helped launch and grow more than $6.5 billion worth of companies that are solving problems in things like healthcare, expensive housing, student debt, transportation, taking care of kids and elder people, and even just stopping burnout, which is exceptionally cool. And the guy who runs Kairos is Ankur Jain. And he's said, look, his goal is to fundamentally change the way we live for generations to come. And the reason he's in a position to do this is that he started and sold his own company before he was 30. In fact, he's not even 30 yet. Um, and that put him in a position to really see the, the plight of his peers uh, to experience it and to start making a difference a little bit earlier in life than a lot of us are blessed to be able to do. Ankur, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Dave. Now, Ankur, what is Kairos? K-A-I-R-O-S. Where does that name come from? So, you know, Kairos in Greek means the right opportune moment, right? And I think something that you and I have talked about a lot is that in life, Finding that moment in time where you can start to do things that matter is so important. And I think like right now we're in a state where without doing anything about it, we have a generation who is saddled with debt coming out of college, barely able to afford rent. We're dealing with climate change issues that could I mean, pose an existential threat to humanity. And we can't just sit back anymore and hope that governments fix this. Right. We need people like you, people like a lot of the listeners here, people like the groups that we work with to actually start finding new ways to fix it. Uh, and I think right now is the best moment in time for entrepreneurs to have the capacity to actually solve these problems. All right. You you started a company called Human and sold it to Tinder. You're a VP of product at Tinder, a company really working to make the world a much better place uh, by increasing our ability to have hookups. Right. Um <laughs> So I'm just going to have to ask this, like, like, what makes you qualified to solve these problems, my friend? Look, it's the same thing we always talk about, and I know you and I have talked about this as well, is that sometimes it's actually being the dumbest guy in the room that gives you the <laughs> best edge at tackling big problems. That does not describe you. I, <laughs> I know you pretty well. You're not the dumbest guy in the room. And I, I kind of ask that tongue in cheek because people you know, ask, ask me that all the time. Um, and in fact, I, we, I suppose we should we should just mention it. Um, your dad is is Naveen Jain, uh, who started Viam, who's been on the show several times, um, and and is is he's like I have no background in microbiology, but I'm starting a company, and that's what makes me qualified because I just did it. <laughs> so it, it was a bit of a tongue in cheek question. Like, look, I'll give you an example, right? Like, so take one of the companies that you know I started about a year and a half ago, and as we started digging into this new Kairos mission, 
right, which are focused now is how do we help this young generation of my peers, our friends, millennials, like get ahead in life with all these financial constraints, right? And so, look, have you rented before? Have I rented? Yeah. God, yes. I, I used to scoop ice cream at Baskin Robbins. I welded Toyota truck frames. I worked in an auto parts warehouse it's, for five years. You bet your ass I rented. So like, <laughs> what is more frustrating than like, I mean, not only are you paying half of your income on rent, but then your landlord, when you want to move in, also wants to take your whole life savings, right? It's like, yeah. give me your first month rent, your last month rent, your security deposit, your firstborn child. I mean, it's like, it's insane. And what I realized is that for decades now, we've just taken this for granted. It's just like, yeah, that's just part of the process of renting. You have to just give up your life savings, right? But things like security deposits, which cost thousands of dollars, don't have to exist. And so about two years ago, again, a year and a half ago, we started a company called Rhino, right? It was under, under Kairos. And we said, rather than paying a security deposit, what if you could just pay $5 a month for insurance let the insurance company protect the landlord and you get to keep your life savings, right? Something so simple that everybody in real estate had just assumed as part of how things can be done and why bother changing. We're now changing with a simple idea, right? Like that doesn't take a genius. That just takes asking the dumb question of why do we have to lock away all this money when you're not even doing anything with it? It always pissed me off. Because you don't get interest on that money. It doesn't do anything for you. Your landlord's taking the interest on it. So you said, all right, this one annoying thing, how do we solve that problem? And it, it maybe you felt it. it. It's kind of funny. We were both on the Build series in New York City, which ends up yeah. on the homepage of, of AOL. And I didn't realize that you were on, they were recording with you right after me. So we kind of crossed paths in the <laughs> hallway. But on that episode, you talked about how 40% of millennials don't have any savings. And that's that's relevant for everyone listening because here's the deal. You have millennials who work with you in your company. You may have millennials as kids. Uh, you may be a millennial. But if 40% of a major part of the people in your life don't have any savings, and no savings means one bad thing happens. You get a flat tire in your car and you're hosed. What kind of a world does that create? Are, will there be people who are hungry enough to steal things? Yes. Uh, does it just create a, an environment of, of kind of toxic need and fear and stress? Things? It does. Like, like You have to solve that problem to create the kind of world you want to live in no matter how much or how little money you have. Right. Um, and so I, I was stoked that you were talking about it. But okay, so you solve the rent thing where, okay, you get to maybe have some in your savings. What else though? But just like, but like, think about that simple thing though, Dave, right? Just to go back to that, I mean, guess how much money is locked away in security deposits that otherwise could be savings for just everyday Americans? Uh, it's got to be like $100 billion or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's $45 billion of cash, right? Just sitting there doing nothing. And you don't even know if you're going to get it back because we're... It's not sitting there doing nothing. The landlords are using that money. They're earning interest on it. They're probably No, they're not allowed to by law. Oh, really? That's the crazy part. It sits in escrow accounts. It bear, it's capped at 1% interest. It's not even allowed to generate meaningful returns. That's stupid. So it's, I didn't even know it's that. It's just stupid. Yeah, it's just dumb. But like, think of the impact. Like, if 40% of millennials have zero savings. And the average security deposit is $1,500, right? We can give back. So now suddenly you have that cushion, right? I mean, by the way, it's not just millennials that are dealing with this. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stats, like 60% of Americans 
can't afford a thousand dollar emergency expense. Like, I mean, we talk about GDP growth and the stock market going up, but if that's not being shared by everybody, to your point, what kind of society are we living in? Uh, it's a society where it's going to be really tough to thrive because even if you're saying, all right, I got, I got, I got a job. I did really well. It's not okay if you're the only one or it's you and, and a few percentage of people. Uh, so, you know, spreading health, uh, spreading wealth, it, it's really important, but okay. We, we solve that one little problem, but that's not, yeah. that's not going to move the needle. What, what are you going to do entrepreneurially? What are, uh, I would say, what are millennials going to do? And, and people like me who are working to solve problems as well, but like what, what's out there to really meaningfully change this problem. So, okay. So let's take a step back and look at where people's money is going today, right? It might be shocking to realize that over 80% of all income for millennials now is just consumed by housing, food, transportation, healthcare, and childcare, okay? And the remaining 20% for about half of millennials is now going to just student loans, right? So... We got to think about from the moment you graduate, how do we set you up for success, right? And so simple things like saving money upfront on rent, like Rhino, but like, let's say you're getting to your thirties now and you're ready to start a family. How do we make it so that you can actually afford to go back to work, but still afford childcare when the cost of childcare today can take up your entire income post-tax? Oh, you, you actually can't. And I say this with two kids, um, my, uh, I mean, my wife, who's a medical doctor, um, she took off work because yeah. even with a, a reasonable salary, if you're living in, in uh, any of the high cost urban areas, uh, it doesn't matter, LA, uh, you know, New York, Seattle, uh, San Francisco, and any of that stuff. I mean, I've had this conversation with a lot of my Wharton grad friends. I mean, these are people who are VPs at companies or, or you know, senior executives. Uh, by the time you pay for preschool and the time you pay for things in these cities, you're looking at you know forty, fifty thousand dollars in post tax income, and it doesn't pencil. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But look, there are ways, and there are ways to fix these things, and this is what we need to be doing more of, right? Like we can't rely on the politicians to figure this out. We got to find new business models that work for the financial realities of this All right, solve, solve childcare. Tell, tell me what you're doing with that. Because I know you're working on all these. I, I want to I wanna know, like, how are we going <laughs> to fix the world, man? All right, childcare. So look, I think the, here are two, two companies that we've launched that at least can move us forward, right? And I think you got to do a lot to keep solving this. But the first is we realize, you know, in any given neighborhood, there's probably one family who would rather stay at home and take care of their child and be with their child then go to work and spend all their post-tax income on childcare anyways, right? So how can we help that family turn their home into a licensed, insured childcare center? So now you can actually stay at home, take care of your child, offer to take care of a couple other kids, and in the process, we can provide a more affordable childcare center for the rest of the neighborhood, right? It's like a simple, simple concept. But this company called My Village has now opened up over a hundred childcare centers just across right now, kind of the Pacific Northwest and West Coast, right? And if you think about that, you're creating jobs now for families. You're letting other families share in the benefit. You're creating highly trained, insured, you know, safe childcare spaces, right? 
And in the process, you kind of bring down that, that barrier for a lot of these families who otherwise don't have an option. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it makes sense. So it, it's sort of you know, distributing the problem uh, so that, that more people can do it. Although, I mean, child care is a deeply personal thing. You really, uh, you're, everyone's looking for the, the perfect nanny, the perfect babysitter is not going to yell at your kids, not going to lock them in a closet or do any of the other bad things that traumatize people unintentionally do to kids that affects kids' development. I mean, do all these people have, you know, telemonitoring in place so you can always watch. Yeah, no, this is why this is so important. I mean, look, part of this is making sure that you have the standards just so high. So we bring people on, we're training them. Every facility that we set up has the nanny cams, the, the different types of education styles. So by the way, to your point of being personal, some of these parents train to be Montessori school style childcare centers. Of wow. Others are doing other parents. So you can actually pick what type of learning environment what type of care you want for your child. And there's somebody in your local area who can provide that. that right? And wow. That's an active service. Cause one thing that I've heard, um, there's, there's something called mommy brain, uh, that, that happens after you have kids and you know, keep in mind, my, uh, my first book was a fertility book and my wife's a medical doctor and she does fertility coaching for you know, celebrities and CEOs and people like that. So, you know, she deals with clients who, who experience this, you very high performing women. And afterwards, Sometimes your brain's a little scrambled by hormones and, and things like that, but it comes back online. And then there's this, this kind of sad period where you're going, I'm smart and capable and I'm, you know, at home doing things that I, on one hand love, on the other hand, I, I just need to, I need to do something with my brain because I'm stagnating. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and so she, uh, she's talked about this with a lot of her clients uh, but oftentimes there's just, there's no option. And so what yep. you're saying is if you could get your kids in an affordable way out there, uh, most of the moms I know, if, if they could just get even, you know, 10, 20 hours of adult work without the yeah. constant interruptions, it's, it's life changing. It, it kind of, it's a breath of fresh air. And we used to have that in villages because, you know, the kids would all play together. And so that, that would be a societally changing thing. And, and, and by the way, it. like we need it, right? Yeah. I mean, 70% of millennial parents now both go back to work because it's stimulating and because you need the income. Yeah. Right. So we've got to create a way to do that. And by the way, there's also like a little, there's a bunch of different life hacks around this too. So like we realize that most people don't actually have easy access to their tax credits for childcare. Like, I don't know if you realize this, but you can actually get $5,000 of tax free dollars to put towards your childcare. And the average childcare cost annually is $10,000, right? So that can be a pretty meaningful amount. And so the other company that we're helping set up to fix this is, it's called Kinside. And it basically lets you have a network of schools. Think of it like a, a class pass for daycares, right? And you can go to any of these childcare centers within our trusted network. They've all been vetted to be the highest quality care, et cetera. And it automatically pulls from your FSA tax credits to help cover that cost. So you can save up to 50% of your cost annually just using this network. Okay, that, that's a huge, a huge burden removed if people can get even a little bit more childcare. Uh, so, all right, so that, that's pretty important. So now you freed up a little bit of, uh, of the, the deposit money. Uh, you've made childcare more accessible. And, and this, these aren't rolled out nationally, but these are entrepreneurial ventures that are looking to solve problems. Um, are these profitable companies? Hugely. 
I mean, look, this is the, this is the irony, right? The biggest problems in the world are the biggest opportunities, right? And if you think about the things, I mean, these markets we're talking about, housing, childcare, healthcare, these are the largest industries in the world. They're just not built, they're antiquated. They're not built for the financial realities of our generation, right? So it's time, just like any other antiquated sector, for us to go disrupt it and go rebuild it for a way that works. A lot of people don't know about the baking powder uh, wars. Do you know anything about baking powder? No, tell me. It, it goes back to what you just said about you know these, these problems out there. Go back 100 years. You know what women did with about two hours of their day when they on top of their childcare? No. They made bread rise. Okay. And it was a serious burden every morning. Wake up at an extra hour early, knead the bread, make sure it puffs up. And I mean, it was that sucks the life out of you after a while. So when baking powder was invented, like, oh my God, I get an hour of my day back. <laughs> Do you know how precious that is? So these. Two companies formed and they have these incredible like marketing wars with each other. Ours is better than yours. And, and some of the consumer packaged goods companies to this day are still using techniques that were pioneered to basically sell a very basic chemical. Our basic chemical is better than your basic <laughs> chemical. And, and you read the histories of, of marketing and consumer packaged goods. But billions of dollars were made by solving the simple problem of don't make women wait for bread to rise truly and so to your point yeah okay so these are profitable because you found a problem that's a major pain point and people will be willing to share some of what they're already wasting with you if you do it um but i, I gotta ask you this yeah. i mean clearly you've already sold your company to tender so you're you're doing all right i mean do you do you consider it ethical to to, to have these companies run at a profit i mean shouldn't they be running at break even and using the rest of their money to you know pay people's rents or something? No, what we need to do is find a way to solve these problems scalably, right? Yeah. And it's just like, you if you want to sit here and impact, you know, I think my dad and you have always talked about this a lot as well. It's like, if you want to reach 500 people, sometimes a nonprofit's a great way to do that. But if you, <laughs> but if you yes. want to reach a billion people and really choose, you have to build an engine that can provide that service. The key though is to bake the, the problem you're solving into the core of the DNA of the business, right? So if you take Rhino, this company that gets rid of security deposits, it only makes money if it's saving people money, period. That's it. And it's a, and so you align the interest. It's a win-win. And I think that's okay. Like when you think about the work that you're doing at Bulletproof, think about the impact this has on people's health, right? Oh, yeah. You couldn't reach so many people and get people, partners like Walmart to get everybody access to these products if this was not built as a scalable business, right? You know what's funny? Uh, I actually ran an anti-aging nonprofit group for something like 10 years before I started Bulletproof. And I wanted to start the Bulletproof blog under the nonprofit. Mm. And... I, I've been telling my, my board of directors, and I'm chairman of this nonprofit, like, hey guys, our membership is a few hundred people. And it's been that way for a long time. And we've got our videos up online and we're doing all this stuff, but like, it's it's not working. So we, we should do this thing called the blog and, and all this. And they entered this spiral of board mania where they argued for months over what the URL should be. I'm like, guys, number one, 
none of you is an expert in internet marketing, and I'm not an expert, but I've been doing this in my day job in computer security. I, I know a few things, so just say, yes, Dave, go do it, and I'll do it. And after three months, I was like, you know, I'm just doing this as bulletproof. I'm just going to start my own blog, not not as a even as a company. I just wanted to be able to more flexibly scale yep. and just scale the knowledge. And eventually, it's like, I should make some coffee and collagen and... <laughs> you know, the MCT oil, the brain octane and all that stuff, they ended up becoming major industry categories, but the market size of them was very small or didn't exist. And the the moral of that kind of long story or the lesson in it uh, is that even to this day, the vast majority of the income, you know, the, the, when you buy a collagen bar, what happens with that, it goes back into the company so that we could take it to Walmart so that we could make the next flavor and all that. That's so right. it's not like, it's not like entrepreneurs are stealing from society. They're creating stuff people want. And most of what you pay a company goes back into paying the people who work for the company and goes into continuing the mission. Because uh, I can tell you, this podcast probably wouldn't exist um, if people you know, weren't buying some bulletproof products. You know, it's, right? it's and funny. All like, we, we talk a lot about these problems, to your point, like not just nonprofits, but often as like government problems, right? Yeah, And we, obviously we're in an election season right now and we're spending a lot of time thinking about who's going to be the Democratic nominee to take on Trump. How do we have these hard debates asking the tough questions of President Trump, of the Democratic candidates, et cetera. But here's the reality, man. Like Jeff Bezos is basically already president, right? I mean, <laughs> this, like, you think about the, the, the reality today is that technology companies and businesses are as powerful as governments. But what we need to do is make sure that we hold businesses accountable and we have to hold entrepreneurs accountable to solving problems. And one of the reasons I love the opportunity for small business startup entrepreneurs to fix this is unlike a candidate where you vote once every four years and hope they fix your problem, as a startup, your customers are voting on your solution every single day. Right? If they think that you're solving the problem better for them, they will pick it. And if you don't solve the problem, you won't exist in a year. Every dollar you spend is basically a, a direct democracy vote at the end of the day. And I, I tell people, don't buy industrially fed animals. Don't, don't buy feedlot animals. Um, it's, it's unethical because it's yeah. bad for the animals. They're cruel to them. It's bad for the soil, bad for the environment, bad for your health. It's not okay. And when people do that, you know, don't, don't buy uh, uh, products that are full of ingredients that are bad for you. And That's when right. you do that, suddenly the big food companies see their revenues go down by 20%. And they're like, uh, right. what did you want? You wanted to buy grass-fed stuff? Let <laughs> us invest in farmland that makes grass instead of some sort of you know Monsanto soy whatever. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's actually how you change the world. And whether you vote doesn't do anything compared to what you buy. That's so right. So I, I love it that you said that. Uh, do you... Do you find that, and I know you're not you're not a spokesperson for all millennials, there's no such thing anymore than I'm a spokesperson for all Generation Xers, but amongst your group of peers, do you find that there's a, a, a big disenfranchisement with the political process, or, or are you seeing a lot more engagement in it? I just, look, I think we're, right now especially, regardless of your political views, it is so important to be engaged politically too, right? If nothing else to help set the values for this country, right? But, I mean, do, I, do you really think that being engaged in the political process sets values more than just like actually acting out without, you know, hey, I'm going to live with kindness and help the people around me. Totally. But like, you know what? Here's, here's the reality. I think what drives, the, what drives change on an 
on a daily basis is where you spend your dollars, right? Yeah. But what helps shape culture, I think, over time is the conversations that we force the politicians to have, right? Because that takes up the media cycles, which takes up the this kind of the coffee table and the water cooler conversations, et cetera. So like, you know, I think, for example, like bringing climate change as a focal point just drives that conversation every day so that more people are then aware it becomes part of culture, which means you're spending your dollars more smartly to your point, which then drives the businesses to make the change we need, right? Okay. And so I think there is a play there. But, but look, the, this all only works if we also make sure that we have choices for people where they can pick a more sustainable, healthy option, or if they can pick the housing solution that's more affordable. So, you know, if you hadn't gone out and created these products with Bulletproof, people might not have had that option to spend their dollars in a more sustainable, healthy way. One of the the core disruptive tenets uh, for Bulletproof is that people are happy to spend a small amount more on stuff that makes them feel good because what we value most is our energy, what we value second is our time. Yep. And, and if you can get a little bit more of either one of those, you're like, heck yeah, I'd be willing to give up some money for that. Um, even if I have very little, uh, those are your most precious assets, regardless of where you are. So if, uh, if the food works better than other food, you'll say, I want that and not taste better. It should taste good too. <laughs> but I, I feel like it's that way across every solution. You save someone a little bit of time and man, you don't, you don't get that back. I mean, think about, okay, you talked about this earlier, but like, you know, when you millennials now, it's kind of crazy, but we're becoming parents now, right? I mean, 80% of new parents are millennials, right? Like we're old. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's so interesting, you talk about time. Well, again, 70% of us are going back to work after having kids, both parents, right? You're trying to figure out what to do with childcare. But you remember we talked about the bread rising? I mean, yep. how much time do parents spend having to try to make food for their kids? Like you're making it all day, you're keeping it refrigerated, you're making it again the next day, it goes bad. It's like these little things that end up in, in effect costing you money, costing you time. And we don't even know if it's the best thing for their kind of development, right? Are we getting the right nutrients? You, you know, what's, what's really funny about that? This morning, we sat down with my kids, they're nine and 12, and, and we're like, hey guys, uh, this is mostly my wife, Dr. Lana. It's like, hey guys, I've been making food for you. And I make some food, but I'm a CEO and I travel. And so I make less than I prefer because I'm I'm good in the kitchen. But she's like, I've just, I'm done with making food on weekends. So here's the deal. What on the weekends when, when you know, dad's home, he's going to make food one day. And the other day, you guys are going to make food, right? <laughs> so, so you're in charge of what the family's going to eat. And if you want, we'll get your recipe books. We'll teach you how to do whatever you don't know how to do, but, but it's on you. And here's the kicker. And if you don't want to do it, that's okay. We can all practice intermittent fasting. <laughs> and the kid's like, what? Okay. And so they're kind of excited and kind of annoyed that it's another chore. But that conversation literally happened the, the same day here. Because, yeah, um, Lana's like, you know, I got stuff to do. And I, I like cooking. I like caring for my family. But seriously. It's so much time. And it's even harder when they're babies, right? Because you can't oh, just give them the same food you're eating. I mean, and you've met Lisa. And, you know, so my girlfriend is also an entrepreneur trying to fix some of these problems for a generation. Oh, yeah. And so she said, this is crazy. And so she started a company called Little Spoon, uh, which I think, you know, you've tried as well. And it's just like, why can't we find an affordable way 
to deliver every new parent fresh, healthy food for their baby right to their door, right? Yeah, uh, it, it's possible. But man, the the history of baby food is horrifying. I mean, they, yeah. like, how do we put the cheapest crap and and to this day, most parents they, they sit down and say, I'll take the kids' menu because it's cheaper. I'm like, have you looked at what's on the kids' menu? I wouldn't feed it to my dog. Oh gosh, have you? People, baby food hasn't changed in over a hundred years. I mean, could you imagine this Gerber food that's just sitting in this jar? I mean, everything we know about health and nutrition to this point, and we're feeding our kids at the most precious time this processed, yeah. like highly additive type crap. I mean, it's just. It's crazy to think, but it's just like another example where these just old industries haven't adapted for the realities of this younger generation, right? The good news is I've had a chance to meet the CEOs of a lot of these companies. I haven't met the head of Gerber, but a lot of big CPG companies and all of them are scratching their heads going, we didn't know. Like like they truly (laughs) didn't understand that their deals, our mission is to feed the world for as cheap as possible. And we're going to sell them whatever they buy. Because that's what they want. They're telling us what they want. We're responding to a market need. And they all have kids and they all want to be healthy and they all have their health issues. And they're super motivated to do the right thing. And they feel a moral obligation to do the right thing with their companies. They just had the worst possible information and the worst possible algorithm. And that's why they're getting disrupted all over the place. But they're not bad people. They're just running companies based on assumptions that are wrong. And, and you're coming along. And that's right. that's the opportunity for the yeah. entrepreneurs. And I think you're coming along in, in all the industries you just talked about. The existing structures in place are not there uh, to be evil. I, I just I fundamentally don't think there are that many evil people out there. There are a few, uh, but uh, they th- that's not what we need to worry about. It's well-intentioned people with bad assumptions or bad operating systems. And that's where entrepreneurs just completely, you show them that it doesn't work. Yeah, look, it's at the end of the day, I think we have to just find ways to help people have more savings and have more time, right? And there are a lot of ways we can do that by just focusing in on some of these really broken old old, old industries that have had bad information for so long, and we can just create the right way so people have access to it. Now, you talk about how you use data to identify problems that you want to go after. What does that really mean, or is that marketing? No, it's it, look like anything, right? You got to understand some of those basic basic information first. What is the what are the what are the life needs that are hurting people the most today, right? And if you start to look at, you make all this money. Where is that money going, right? And then what can we do from that point to actually move the needle in the biggest way? And if you think again, like the biggest data we continue to look at is savings for this generation i mean right now millennials will never be able to afford a home which is the greatest equity opportunity for most families i mean because they're never able to save enough by the age of 30 32 33 34 right well you sound like an old guy and what so think about it no (laughs) i mean look i am getting old now right i'm i'm 29 (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, but I mean, if you think about it, unfortunately, the greatest driver of inequality is the ability to access equity or not. Right. Um, that that's true. And if if you have equity, you can use as a as a buff as a buffer. That's good. And uh, and I think, look, like as much as we value flexibility, and that's why I think we're renting longer. 
at some point when you're ready to start a family, it's, it's a compelling proposition to be able to access this opportunity for home ownership. I, well, one of the things that makes it compelling, there are very few places suitable for families to rent. You, you go to the average apartment complex. Um, I know I, I just was uh, looking around uh, in Seattle uh, and in the larger cities where I live because I was looking for you know a place I could I could use when I'm traveling that's closer to an airport. And what I found was they're all 540 square feet. You know, one bedroom for you know one or two people to live. And you see this entire you know high rise of condos, and there's two places that are three bedroom. So we're we're sort of forcing families out. But to say you should own a home, I mean, I I know so many people who just lost their shorts. You know, they they bought at the wrong time. It, like it's a huge amount of economic risk. I, I kind of respect the millennials. Who are like, Why would I own a car? It's really expensive and kind of dumb, and I'm not going to use it most of the time anyway. Why would I own a building? I'm just going to get a good rent uh, and you know, go do fun stuff. I, I mean, is this a bad thing? It's it's, it's it, it, So it's different between cars and housing, right? Like cars now, companies like Lyft, for example, have made it affordable and accessible to not own a car, right? You can get around because that option exists now, right? To your point, if you're starting a family, there just isn't a great supply of homes that you can first of all rent, right? And if you're going to be spending half of your income on something for in the same place for years and years and years, then it's probably a good idea to be getting something back for it, right? I mean, it's crazy that you get nothing back for such a big expense. Yeah, uh, it, if it is, if it is more expensive, and the the rule that that's very basic is you should buy a home when your house payments are less than rent. <laughs> and the, the problem is that even if you go to a really expensive market like the Bay area, uh, I bought my, my home there. Geez, like in 1997 or something like that. Um, because I looked around and rents were expensive back then. They're insane right now. And I found a place, you know, 45 minute commute and, and my rent was half or sorry, my house payment was half of what rent would be. And it was a great deal. And I sold yeah. it two years later for 50% more than I bought. It was you know an early win. Um, and the place yeah. cost, by the way, $112,000 when I bought it. Um, <laughs> so that's you know, that that's really cool. That's like your annual rent. <laughs> exactly. But if I was to, <laughs> to go to you know, San Francisco now and say, I, I'm going to buy someplace, you know, you're going to spend a million dollars for a teardown in, in a halfway decent neighborhood. I mean, it, it's gone nuts. You're probably... Not yeah. going to be able to afford that. And even if you can afford right. it, you're probably not going to make a lot of money on that by the time you pay your property taxes and everything else. It, it's not a good investment. It's a terrible investment. Yeah. I mean, look, time will tell on those cities. San Francisco and New York are very weird cities, right? These are like the, the capitals of real estate where prices are so high. Outside of San Francisco and New York, the cost of owning a home is substantially lower than your rent okay. per month. Right. When, when that's the case, then you, you make it clear case. So, the, I mean, these are big societal societal issues there that we've got to solve there. And uh, as, a, as an investor, I, I think it's cool that you have this filter that is very different. And it's, I think, in part because of your experience set and your age. And um, you have the same, like, screw that, we'll just fix it kind of mindset that you probably got from your dad. Because, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with, with your dad. And uh, I, I see the commonalities there. But I also want to know... 
he's one of the guys who's fastest at calling BS on something. Yep. So at Kairos, your, your venture fund, what is the dumbest <laughs> idea? I don't want you to name the company and be humiliating to entrepreneurs or anything like that, but what's the dumbest idea that you've just rejected like outright? Oh, dude, <laughs> look, <laughs> I think this is actually a culture of Silicon Valley problem. I mean, I remember I asked somebody what their biggest problem they were trying to solve was uh, one of the, another venture firm that they were, that you would know the name of and that they do a spend a lot of money. And they said, you know, people just don't have a way to hold, hold assets digitally. That's the biggest problem. So we're investing in a virtual gifting app where you can buy blockchain based objects and gift them to people as if they were real assets. Um, and I said, that's the biggest problem in the world you guys are solving right now. I mean, it's like, it's uh, like, this is, I think, the challenge right now. It's like, you have real problems in the world, uh, real problems, right? I mean, do you need like another another blockchain-based gift app or another like Alexa-enabled toaster right now? Like, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know that one. I, there's something I... I... Uh, jokingly with friends call the the masturbation business model <laughs> like it, it's like it feels good but it actually doesn't create anything when you're done right? <laughs> and, and i see a lot of these things like guys why are you putting your life's effort into this right like why would you spend five or ten years and probably most of your assets personally if, if you're the typical kind of entrepreneur solving this problem like like why does it matter and then you wonder why those businesses don't work right it's because there was no problem <laughs> to solve in the first place uh, yeah like well you know look i'm doing something i'm doing something you're like you're not doing anything that's gonna do anything uh but uh, do you have an insight into what mental models or cognitive traps lead people to do that so i think we have this tendency to reverse engineer the problem based on an idea we have Right. And I see this a lot where you'll ask somebody what they're building and they'll start to justify in their head why something is a problem with a very non data driven way. Right. So you'll just start to look at, I mean, like this, like this entrepreneur who and this VC together who genuinely felt that this was the biggest problem. I mean, if you just went out and ran some basic data testing, just even running a landing page test, that's just the problem. Do you wish you could hold your, you know, objects digitally, that entrepreneur would have saved themselves a lot of time and money. Um, I don't know. I mean, like when you were starting Bulletproof, right? I'm assuming, you know, that the process you went through to identifying the problem wasn't just coming up with a solution first. You started with a problem, right? Yeah, we started with a token-based protein bar. Yeah, that's who was going to download it. And it was- <laughs> you, could only, you could only use Bitcoin to buy. <laughs> You know, but like that's it's so it's so yeah. Funny, you, you go out and you ask people what's going on, and, and they're like, you know, I, I can't buy convenient food um, that that's made out of good stuff. Like like the whole clean label thing has happened. It's changed a lot since I started it. But the, the bottom bottom line was people felt they had no control over how they felt. I'm like you know, there's things you can do for that. Let me give you control of your own biology, and and it's mostly knowledge and a little bit of making food the right way. Yeah. Uh, and here, let me do that for you, kind of a thing. Um, but it, it was it was really years of talking to people and realizing that the issue was was not health. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's this is the key, right? It's starting with like, what are people feeling as the problem, right? You know, it's you want to build the Advil, not the not the vitamin first, 
right? And if we can identify the pain, identify the problem, which today, I think to your point, it's like you feel a little bit out of control in life because you can do everything right. You get you go to school. I mean, going to, by the way, a state school today, you're talking $40,000 a year. That's insane. insane. And so you graduate. I would not go to school at well, those prices. I, I just would And that's the whole problem is you're, people just kind of assume you have, you, have, you don't have a choice, right? It feels like, it feels like with all the societal pressure, people just feel like they have to do it. Even, and part of what I think the opportunity for an entrepreneur is, is to show other ways to get around this, right? And here's the deal. If you have $40,000, you can start a company with $40,000 that will pay you more than that. You might lose it. Uh, and if you don't listen to mentors and you don't study, you don't put in the hours, uh, you're likely to lose it. But I'll tell you, I, I, that's actually the almost exact amount that started Bulletproof. Yeah. Right? Only that but, much. Right. But like here you're getting this debt that just everyone's trying to throw at you and you're taking out, you know, $160,000 of debt by the time you graduate. And you, again, like, I just think that is a problem this whole idea that you just, in order to just make it in life, that you seem forced, you have no choice, it almost feels like, to just spend all of your money on housing and student loans, et cetera. I mean, that's, that's crazy, well, it's, right? It creates, uh, it creates unhappiness, and you don't want to be in a world full of unhappy people. Oh. And I mean, the, the studies are showing a huge increase in anxiety and depression for teenagers and millennials. They don't know if it's because of increased smart device usage, which is probably part of it, or whether it's these basic things that crushing debt, uh, working a side gig, uh, you know, driving for Uber or Lyft, and you know your day job and student loans and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it is, it is not like it was twenty years ago. It's unreasonable and it's unfair. Um, and then you know you, you've got all the the other stuff going on around health, so. I want you to say, based on all the studies you've done, all the things you're yeah. looking at with Kairos, there's three kinds of health that are important for uh, for everyone, but the things that are hardest maybe when you're just getting started. There's a financial health, there's physical health, there's emotional health. Like, give me your top pieces of advice for each of those. Start with the financial health. What should what should people getting going focus on first? So the first thing people everyone should do right now is whatever student loans you have out there you should make sure that you refinance them and lock them in at a fixed rate because a lot of people are just given variable interest rate student loans. And that little life tip and hack can help save people so much money over the next 10, 15 years because uh, a lot of these guys, as interest rates rise over the next couple of years, uh, can find themselves with all these sudden expenses that you didn't expect. It, that is such a killer piece of advice. Uh, I had very large student loans because I went to Wharton and I ended up locking them in at 2% interest when there was an interest rate drop years ago. And I finally just finished paying them off because I didn't want to pay them off. 2% money is almost free. Uh, so they were much less painful that way. So great piece of advice. Right now and, is the time to do that. Um, yeah, so, interest rates are low, okay. So I would definitely do that. Um, second thing I would do is, again, find a way with your rent today to keep it below 50%, right? So it sounds, it sounds, people say 30%. I'm saying that today rent has gotten so high that if you can find a way to like spend two, three years of your first renting years, living with an extra roommate, you know, living in a slightly cheaper place and put that money towards savings, you'll be in a better position than over, over 60% of the other, uh, other millennials out there. 
right? And that little okay, edge got it. So can be a huge difference. Control your rent, okay? Um, physical, so, what do you recommend there? God, you know, you're, you're the expert, Dave, when it comes to physical. Yeah, d- don't eat crap. Uh, don't eat fried stuff. Uh, there we yeah, go. it's pretty, pretty straightforward. <laughs> no. Drink less. Uh, there we Look, go. Okay. It's so funny. Like, are you a big... Uh, you know, I know, I know you are kind of all over the place with this, but like for me, I'm really not the best in terms of like going to the gym and stuff, right? Uh, neither am I. I uh, going to the gym can be expensive, but more importantly, it takes a lot of time. And there's this thing happens after you exercise, you get tired. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I'll do the minimum gym necessary to get the biological outcome I want. And I don't want to spend a lot of time doing it. I'll just admit that. I have kids. I'd rather play with my totally. kids than go to the gym. So, and I think to that end, like, the most valuable thing that you can do from a, a physical health standpoint is just eating well. Yeah. It's way more important than exercise, but you should do both. It's just, yeah, it just, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. People think that you can just work out for hours. I mean, your listeners know this, but like what you put in your body makes so much more of a difference than any of the other stuff. It's impossible to work off a bag of corn chips. It doesn't work like <laughs> that. Uh, all right. And also just from a food perspective, I, I find that, uh, People who are single and younger people, they spend incredible amounts on convenient food. But I just, I got to say this. If you want to save a lot of money, eat some butter. Because you can go to the store and buy a pound of butter, which is an enormous amount of food. And it's three or four bucks for grass-fed butter, right? And you can have dinner for two bucks. Have a couple eggs cooked in butter with some veggies that were frozen, Okay, maybe it's three bucks, right? Do that a couple times a week. Save the $25 you're going to save on DoorDash or whatever the hell you were using. And that goes right into your financial bucket. So spend your money on quality food instead of convenient food and watch what happens to your, your bank account as well as your waistband. And then here's my, here's, I think, a really valuable tip on the uh, emotional side, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you talk about burnout and all this, a lot of it is... Be- you know, the sad truth about social media is it just always feels like everybody else has their shit together and doing better than you. And the reality is we're all going through the same things, right? And I think what was so powerful, even about your early blogs, was just when you actually open up even a little bit to your friends and, and like friends and family and others about what you're dealing with, all of a sudden it floods back with reciprocity and it yeah. just it helps so much to realize you're not alone. Right. Yep. And, and, and together you end up finding really great solutions. And I think for some reason we're so protective about feeling like we always have our stuff together and putting out this perfect image to the world. Um, and it's, it's okay. It's hard. I mean, it's not your fault. Right. There's a lot of quiet desperation out there and, and just a, a core fear of being vulnerable uh, that I that I'm seeing, and it it kind of makes me sad. But I don't know that I know the answer to it, uh, other than you know, do the work. And the personal development work is is tough. <laughs> but uh, God knows, I I had all that all that and probably more. Uh, and it it took uh, quite a lot of work, and I've written a lot about it. But I, I would say, yeah, what, whatever it takes emotionally to uh, to figure out why you have resistance in your life, and just just go to the root cause and, and nail it. 100%. it you have. Any, it's, any techniques that work best for you? Um, well, it's so funny. I feel like this is such a millennial thing. This is not the right answer, but it's like millennials tend to, I think, use humor as a way to address this stuff. Right. And I think there is something about that, which is 
we're not out. We're, it's okay to be vulnerable through humor. You're right. Uh, in fact, JP Sears and Kyle Sees, both in big communities, have been on the show. They both said that. Okay, so so you can expose yourself as long as it's funny, basically. Expose yourself in a vulnerable way, not in a not in a rude way. Well, I'll give you an example. Like, you don't want to... I think it's a, a... Again, I'm a big believer in opening up to your friends, your family about what... Yeah, you're what real. You're feeling, yeah. Right? But, it's, but it sometimes can feel like weird to do that because if you're just feel, saying that you're struggling with stuff. And I find little things like memes and just sharing memes about things you're talking about with folks is actually a way to start the conversation. Um, and it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that if you look at, you know, some of the most followed accounts on Instagram by millennials, they are these meme accounts that are hitting on these emotional issues of burnout, stress, financial health, et cetera. Right. Like that's not a coincidence. Um, it's because we see that we, we relate to it and it's a, it's a conversation starter to then share with all your friends. All right, so so find a way to be vulnerable, even if it's humor. Um, that, that's a good piece of advice for people getting going. All right, now let's change gears to the other end of the spectrum. How long are you going to live? You've got all the assets you need. You've got access to all these cool people and technologies. You can fund whatever you want, basically with Kairos. So, what's your number? Say, let's say one hundred fifty would be good. One hundred fifty. Why one fifty? I think it gives you a chance. I, I want to get to the point where we as a species are traveling space <laughs> in a pretty, <laughs> nice. in a pretty uh, like accessible way. And I feel like we're two, three generations away from that. All right. And, and by the way, you're saying that I, I didn't mention this, but you are on the visioneering board for the X prize foundation. Yep. So you say that with a little bit of knowledge, uh, I, I don't. I don't think you went on the tenth anniversary X Prize trip to go to JPL and all that. I I did. It was one of the most life changing things. It's actually, just where I met your dad. Mm. Um, and you know, we I actually held things that are going to be driving across the moon. And and you look at the insane amount of just multiple generations of human progress that's gone into the current things happening in space, and it's awe inspiring. And it just it, it makes you realize that. Yeah, you you think you did something good, didn't you? And you're like, no, uh, human achievement is pretty epic, but it's it's it is happening. So I'm with you there. Um, we will both likely be alive to see substantial numbers of people off the planet, assuming we don't all destroy it in the meantime. Something first, and an asteroid doesn't hit us before we're able to catch them. And I actually met the guy, the chief guy in the U.S., whose job it is to find asteroids that might hit us and do something about it, which is also fun. So it's like if you're listening to the show, you probably don't know any of that stuff is happening out there, but it, it is real. And Ankar, when he talks about that, it sounds like an off the cuff thing, but the XPRIZE Visioneering Board, that I mentioned, uh, actually not on this one, a portion of the proceeds of my anti-aging book, Superhuman, that's coming out later this year, um, are going to the Carbon Capture XPRIZE. And that's uh, that's because it matters and because entrepreneurs can solve it and governments won't. And and so anyway, I, I find it inspiring when you talk about space travel and your, your aging answer, because no one's ever said that before. Look, it's, it's, <laughs> there's problems to solve today in the short term and entrepreneurs can do it. Right. And there are giant, giant pro- like opportunities and problems to move humanity forward and entrepreneurs can do it. Right. And that's yeah. the exciting thing is that literally the fact that one individual with a crazy idea can fix the student loan crisis, can fix the healthcare crisis, can take humanity to space. I mean, that's a really crazy 
thought, right? Especially in the, especially when it gets, you're just going through day-to-day life. It can feel like all we're doing is just small, repetitive tasks at work and for our projects, et cetera. And we can lose sight of just how much impact you as one person can have. Um, And I think that's just really important to remember. Well, perfectly said, Ankur. I I appreciate your work. Uh, having uh, having gone out, started and sold a company before you're 30, the Forbes 30 under 30 list, and then doing all that and, and just doubling down on, on saying, I don't want to start companies that don't matter, even if they're profitable. I want to start companies that matter and are profitable, so they can self sustain. I think you nailed it, and you nailed it uh, at a uh, at a stage in life uh, ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve, uh, which is uh, which is really cool uh, and impressive, and I think is inspirational uh, for other people, just like you can do it. Not everyone does it, uh, but if everyone who had success in their life at any age had the mindset that you have, I think we'd solve a lot of the world's problems in a real fast order. So this show is to help spread your mindset to other people because it's uh, it's unusual and worthy. And there's a big, big need right now for us all to address. Like we cannot, we just can't get up every day and know that we're in a society where most of our peers and most of our coworkers and most of our family members are just being left behind, right? And we can do something about it. I uh, I appreciate that so much. Now, best place to connect with you is probably Kairos, the, the Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S-H-Q.com. And I'm assuming that links to your Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm at Encore Jane on Instagram. That's probably the best way to reach me directly. Oh, that's right. I forgot you're a millennial. All right. So he doesn't have email. Uh, he, he uses ironic fonts and he is Encore Jane. <laughs> uh, beautiful. Hey, thanks for being on the show. And, uh, and just thanks for investing in cool stuff. Keep doing it. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave, for everything you do. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Actually, go out there and Start something that makes a difference instead of just making a buck. Uh, that's that's a pretty important thing to do. And, uh, well, I guess if you're a millennial uh, or if you're not a millennial, think about those three big buckets we talked about, uh, about the little things you can do financially uh, to get ahead. Uh, and if you're already in a place uh, like I am and, frankly, like Ankur is where you are ahead a little bit, Think about what you can do to help someone who needs that advice get it. Sometimes five minutes of your time at the right time at the right place to someone who's interested and and inquiring uh, can change their entire life. And it's not that hard to do. So when you feel called to do it, share that kind of knowledge. Have a beautiful day. A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. 
podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.